Let me read our passage as our kids are filing out. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, and we're going to read verses 1 through 10. Luke 19, 1 through 10. Beginning in verse 1, it says, He, and that's Jesus, he entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a, ta- he was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried. And came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Pray with me, please. Father, we thank you for all you do. We thank you for the gift of your word. Lord, I pray that we would receive the truth that you have placed here for us. Help us, Lord, not to... uh, Listen to the interpretations of a man, um, but Lord, that that your Holy Spirit would guide each one of us as we look at your word to see what you would have us to hear. It's in your name we pray, amen. So a few years ago, I saw what is one of my favorite musicals for the first time, that is The Fiddler on the Roof. You guys seen Fiddler on the Roof? Man, I am a sucker for a good musical. And it never fails that like one of the really good numbers in the, in the musical will get stuck in your head. And like after I saw that musical for the first time, If I Were a Rich Man got like in my head. So uh, if, if you don't know that song, If I Were a Rich Man, the, the, the setting of Fiddler on the Roof is that turn of the century from the 19th century to the 20th century uh, time period in Russia in a poor Jewish community. And I love the way uh, Tivya, or however you say his name, uh, I love the way he describes what it is to be rich. Okay, so if I was a rich man... What would he say? It it meant having a yard filled with chicks and turkeys and geese and ducks, right? It meant having a wife with a proper double chin. It meant that all the people in the town would come to you for wisdom, and it wouldn't matter if you were right or or wrong, because if you're rich, everybody just assumes you're right. Uh, it, It means having a staircase for going up, and a staircase for going down, and a third staircase just for show, right? That's what it means. But most importantly, if I were a rich man, I wouldn't have to work hard, right? That's, that's the, the main thrust of the song. This is if I was just a beady, beady rich, 
right? But here's the thing. A few weeks ago, we talked about how there are certain obstacles to coming into the kingdom of God. One of those obstacles we talked about was good behavior. How can good behavior be an obstacle? Well, if that good behavior leads to self-righteousness and self-reliance, then it's a problem. Similarly, wealth can be a problem to coming into the kingdom of God if it means we are reliant on ourselves. We think somehow we have earned what we have received and that that blessing of material wealth is automatically a sign of God's favor. But Jesus gave us a pretty hard teaching about wealth and its obstacle. So in Luke chapter 18, Jesus says this, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I bet when Tivia from Fiddler on the Roof sang his song, he probably wasn't thinking too much about how that kind of wealth could be an obstacle to him coming into the kingdom of God. So if you just think about it for a second, his description, how can a few extra birds, a a well-fed wife, a good reputation, and a useless staircase keep us from the kingdom of heaven? Well, the short answer is it can't. Right, These things can't keep us from heaven. But just like we talked about a few weeks ago, we know that self-reliance can keep us from looking outside of ourselves to find salvation. So back in Luke 18, I love how the account of the rich ruler continues in verse 26. It says, those who heard it said, then who can be saved? If a rich guy can't be saved, then who can be saved? But he, Jesus said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. So did you catch what Jesus said? He begins by saying what is impossible with man. And I think what Jesus means there is that that a rich man can never save himself. But we can't forget What is impossible with man is possible with God. Now, just a minute ago, I read for you guys the account of Jesus meeting Zacchaeus. And I love this story. Now, how does Luke introduce Zacchaeus to us? Verse 2 tells us that he was a rich man. Now, we tend to focus on his height when we look at this story. We tend to think of him as a wee little man, right? But really, our old children's song is the wrong song. We should be singing Tivia's song, right? If he was a Because he's a rich man. Uh, Zacchaeus, uh, I, I think about him, that's the catching point. He was a rich man. And I think... You know, it's so funny how these little things we learn as kids get stuck in our head. We think so much about the fact that Zacchaeus was a rich man that we miss the fact that he was a wealthy, wealthy man. And not just a wealthy man, he was a tax collector. Now, I want you to think about this for just a second. Who can be saved? Now, the Jews thought tax collectors were traitors, They were evil. Jesus is often ridiculed for hanging out with sinners and 
Tax collectors, these are bad people. The Jews would say, if there's somebody who cannot be saved, it's a tax collector. Then Jesus just taught in chapter 18 that it's really, really hard for a rich person to be saved. It's as hard for a rich person to be saved as for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. What does that mean? Jesus is saying it's impossible, it's impossible for a rich person to be saved. It's impossible. To the point that the the crowd that was there said, well, then who can be saved? Then Jesus says something interesting. What's impossible for a man is possible for God. This very thing that is impossible becomes possible with God. What this tells us is the story of Zacchaeus is actually a miracle story. The impossible happens because of Jesus. So here's our goal for today. I want you to see how this miracle happened. I want you to see how the rich are saved. There's been quite a big to-do that the rich can't be saved. But yet, here we have in the story of Zacchaeus, a rich man who is saved. So how did this happen? And I think you're going to see something very interesting. That a rich man is saved, brace yourself, the same way that everybody else is saved. Okay, so even though this is a supernatural event, just like each one of our salvation stories is, what we're going to do today is we're going to look back on the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector and on the account of the rich ruler, and we're going to see how Scripture identifies those who can't be saved. And then we're going to look at Zacchaeus again and see how this particular rich man was saved. All right. So let's quickly revisit the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. So turn back a page in your Bible to Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. It says this. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, This man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The Pharisee does not leave the temple justified. I think that we can assume that this hypothetical Pharisee that Jesus presents in this parable is not saved. Okay, this this Pharisee is described as self-righteous, self-important, prideful, contemptible of others. Though he keeps the letter of the law as he sees it, this Pharisee misses 
the point of the law altogether. And we're supposed to understand that his heart is far from God. But then you have this tax collector who has no such delusions of his own righteousness. He knows his heart has been far from God. And so he comes to the Lord in desperation, in total humility, and he cries out for the only thing he can possibly ask for from God, his mercy. Now, just like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, this tax collector is totally dependent on the mercy of God for his salvation. So, who cannot be saved according to this parable? Okay, those who cannot be saved are self-righteous, self-important, prideful, they're contemptible of others, and most importantly, they are relying on their own work for salvation. Now, who can be saved? The humble, the desperate, and those who know they need God's grace and mercy. That's the, the nutshell of the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Now, if we continue on in Luke 18, which we just covered a couple weeks ago, we, uh, we have the account of the rich ruler, and we, we just can't read it all again today. So similar to this hypothetical Pharisee, this actual rich ruler, and when we say ruler, it probably means he was a ruler in the synagogue, so this is a man of importance in the Jewish religious community. This guy is described as just as self-righteous and just as self-important as the Pharisee in the parable. And so even though Jesus could probably argue with him about these outward signs of righteousness, Jesus takes this guy at his word, and he challenges the, the man's heart idol instead. So Jesus tells him that if he wants to be saved, then what he needs to do is sell all that he has and give it to the poor. But what are we told about this guy? We're told that he was very wealthy, and he went away sad, he didn't want to sell all of his stuff and give it to the poor. So what do we see about those who can't be saved in this story, in this account? We see the same basic things echoed again. We see self-righteousness and dependence on the wrong things, like wealth, keeping us from salvation. We see this idea of holding on to idols lifting something else above God. In this case, for this rich man, it's his money. This idea of holding on to idols as something that keeps us from being saved. And if we were to continue in the account of the rich ruler, uh, we have an example. Just like we had the, uh, the, the tax collector uh, in the previous parable, we see now Jesus talk to the disciples. And this, as we look at the disciples, we see an example of those who can be saved. And this passage shows us that the disciples left everything in order to follow Jesus, unlike the rich ruler. So the disciples have a lot in common with the tax collector from Jesus' parable. By leaving everything to follow Jesus, we see humility and dependence on Jesus. So let's recap this one more time. Who can't be saved? The self-righteous, the prideful, those who, who don't depend on Jesus for mercy for salvation. These people who can't be saved trust in their own righteousness, their own ability to provide for themselves. And Jesus' big point here is that being rich makes you feel powerful 
and capable of taking care of yourself. That's his big point. If, if you're rich, then you are more susceptible to the deception that you can take care of yourself. And if you think you can take care of yourself in this life, you're more likely to be self-reliant and thinking that you can take care of yourself for eternity as well. So those are those who cannot be saved. And let's recap again. Who is saved? It's the humble, the ones in need, and the ones who understand their need for Jesus and his mercy. This is the backdrop. Luke 18 sets the backdrop for the story of Zacchaeus. And Luke 18 ends with the story of the blind man that Jim taught on last week. We have the story of a man who can't see. And then we transition from this man who can't see in Jericho, the same town that Zacchaeus lives in. Okay, The man who can't see is healed. And now we have a different guy, Zacchaeus, who can't see. Now, Zacchaeus can't see because everybody else is taller than him and the crowd's in the way. But it's another example of somebody who can't see who really wants to see Jesus. Let's take a look again at the story of Zacchaeus and see if we can see how a rich man is saved. Let's let's read again verses 1 through 4. He, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not. So I just, how do I, why do I say he can't see? He was seeking to see who Jesus was and he could not. He couldn't see because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Now I want to point out some key characteristics of Zacchaeus here that distinguish him from both the Pharisee in that parable of Jesus and distinguish him from the rich ruler. The first thing that we need to notice is that Zacchaeus was seeking to know who Jesus was. Now when we look at that rich ruler, Was he really seeking to know who Jesus was? Or did he come looking to be affirmed in what he'd already done? Danger. When we come to the Lord looking to be affirmed in our sin, danger. I have already achieved salvation for myself. How do we know that, that that's what the, the, the rich ruler was thinking? He comes and he, he draws attention to the fact that he has kept all the law from his youth. He was coming to Jesus to be told, boy, you're fine. But Jesus does not let this guy get away with resting in his sin and his own self-justification to say he's right with the Lord. Coming to Jesus means coming to him on Jesus' terms. That's heavy for us. He comes to Jesus and says, affirm me. 
And that's when Jesus says, you have an idol. You have an idol of self-reliance, of self-righteousness, and trust in your wealth. Come follow me. But you're going to have to put that idol down. What is it that is keeping you from following Jesus with all your heart? What is that thing that's holding you back? What have you brought to Jesus to be affirmed in? Lord, this is who I am. Take me, right? We do that. We come to him and we say, I'm this way. I feel this way. I I like this thing. I do this thing. I'm okay, right? And here's what I love about the story of the rich man. You know what Jesus says? Follow me. He said, you're welcome. Come. Does Jesus give an exclusive message? Not really. He's invited if he repents of his old ways, casts down his idols, and follows Jesus. Now, that's the backdrop here that we have in our heads. When we get to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus isn't looking to be affirmed. Zacchaeus is seeking to know who Jesus is. Now, the next thing I want you guys to notice here is the crowd, the crowd around Jesus. Now, we can't know this for sure, but most likely, this is the same crowd that just saw the blind man be healed. That chapter break sometimes will throw us off, but he's in Jericho. It's probably the same day. It's probably within a few hours or a few minutes of the blind guy being healed. I just think that's crazy. We don't know that for sure, but that's the way that I think Luke presents the story. So this is the same crowd. Now, perhaps Zacchaeus had already gotten news about the blind man who had received his sight. Now, in in my opinion, just like the blind man already knew enough about Jesus to call him son of David, Zacchaeus probably knew something about who Jesus was to before he ever came to Jericho. And if he happened to have gotten word about the blind man and this crowd following Jesus, he's going to be even more excited. I bet his interest in Jesus was only peaked. So Zacchaeus wanted to know more about this guy. He wanted to know more about who Jesus was. And Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 12 through 14 says this, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and, what? Find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. What a promise. If we are seeking after Jesus, we'll find him. I'm going to step out of my notes for a quick second. I... I have a belief. This is Brandon's opinion, okay? This is Brandon's opinion. You're getting Brandon's opinion here. I have a belief that people find what they're looking for. And a lot of times, they, they, they go and they ask a question, and they, they don't get the answer they want. What do we do when we get an answer we don't want? 
We go to somebody else. And if they don't give us the answer we want, what do we do? We go to somebody else. Until we find the one who tells us what we want to hear. And we go, there it is. That was it all along. See? They, I, I'm right. They told me what I want to hear. We find what we're looking for. What does the Lord tell us in Jeremiah? If we're looking for him, if we're truly looking for the truth, we will find it. He says, I will be found by you when you seek me with all your heart. Church, I, I think it's important to see that Zacchaeus knew something was missing. He was, he was rich, and he was a somewhat powerful man. He was more than just a tax collector. He's identified as a chief tax collector. But none of that was enough. He seemed to understand what Solomon knew, that all that he had accomplished and all that he had acquired was meaningless, that he needed something more. Then comes the next part we need to see. This rich and powerful, somewhat powerful man does something rather undignified. He runs and climbs a tree. How many of you under the age of 20 have seen your father run? Right? It's not that common, and I feel rather undignified when I run. And I don't climb trees unless I'm going to shoot a deer, right? Like that, I don't climb trees anymore. This is a rather undignified thing to do. We see here him demonstrate his humility. He wants to see Jesus so badly that he doesn't mind a little embarrassment. This is just like that blind man from the previous chapter, from the previous section, right? Okay, what's the blind man do? He, he, he wouldn't be silenced by the crowd. They told him, shut up. It's Jesus. Be quiet. And he just yells all the louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. This guy makes a spectacle of himself because he wants to see Jesus. Sets aside all pride. And in humility, he calls out to the Lord. And what do we see with Zacchaeus? This rich, somewhat powerful guy does not care about the indignity of running. I mean, could you just imagine this guy? I mean, he's distinguished and powerful-ish. He says, he could just as easily pretend, oh, it's just uh, some teacher passing by. You know, with everybody else a foot taller than him, I don't really need to see him. It's not really that important. But it was so important for him to seek Jesus that he ran and climbed a tree just to get a peek. That is humility. So what this boils down to is this. Zacchaeus may have been rich, but he was desperate. He was desperate, and he understood that he did not have all that he needed. In all the wealth he'd acquired, he did not have all that he needed. And he was humble enough to overcome the obstacle of his height 
In his pride, he could have pretended, but instead he climbed the tree to see Jesus. And let's see what happens next in verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also was the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Did you guys notice the word that showed up in verse 9 and verse 10? We see salvation in the verse 9 and the word save in verse 10. Luke loves that word. We've talked about it several times uh, through this series in Luke. This is the same word that Jesus used when he healed the blind man when he said, your faith has made you well. It's the same word. Do you see the miracle of this rich man coming to faith in Jesus? He's using the same language, the same word that he said to the blind man when he healed him. He says, salvation has come to this house. I have come to seek and save the lost. Both the blind man and a rich man being saved are miracles. Now, how was this rich man saved? How was Zacchaeus saved? He was saved because Jesus was more important to him than any amount of money and any amount of dignity. He was saved because, just like Jeremiah says, if we seek the Lord, we will find him. Zacchaeus knew he was missing something, and he undignified himself. He humbled himself and climbed to see to see Jesus. But the story doesn't end there. Jesus saw him and called him by name and said, I want to be with you. He set his affection, his eyes on Zacchaeus and said, you're with me. Here's the difference between the the rich man, Zacchaeus, who was saved and the rich man in chapter 18 who went away sad. How, How does it describe Zacchaeus as he encountered Jesus? It says he joyfully, joyfully received him. It brought him great joy to have Jesus, the miracle worker, the great teacher, the Messiah, the Savior, it brought him great joy into his house because he was curious as to who Jesus was and Jesus seems to be revealing who he was to him and he wanted to follow him and Jesus calls him and says, I'm coming to your house. And he says, yes, let's go, let's go. The rich man in chapter 18 said, no thanks, I like my stuff more. Zacchaeus says, come on over. 
and as a sign of his faith in Jesus. Jesus never asked Zacchaeus to give away his stuff. Isn't that interesting? When we look at the story of Zacchaeus, where do you see in there that that Jesus says to Zacchaeus, sell everything and follow me? He doesn't say it. Why doesn't he say it? Because when Zacchaeus trusted in who Jesus was, how does he address Jesus? He addresses Jesus as Lord. How did the rich ruler address Jesus? Teacher. Zacchaeus had already begun to submit himself to Jesus. Jesus says, I'm coming to your house. And he says, of course you are. He didn't say no. He didn't say, let me clean up first. He didn't say, I got some dicey stuff in there. Let me get that out of the way before you come over. He said, yes, come on, let's go. And he joyfully received him. And while Jesus was there, he voluntarily gives up half of what he has. You know what this tells us? He told the rich man to give away all the money. He didn't ask Zacchaeus for anything, and he gave away half the money. Is it about the money? It's not really about the money. It's about the heart. It's about the heart that says, you are Lord. How on earth are we supposed to be able to say to the God of the universe, you are Lord? That's not really a hard thing to do, right? Like, if he really is God, how do we not humble ourselves and lower ourselves before him? Humility is the only appropriate response to recognizing who God is. I'll say that again. Humility is the only appropriate response to recognizing who God is. If you do not respond in humility to God, I got a promise for you. You don't recognize who he is. When the angels in the Bible show up who aren't even God, when the angels in the Bible show up, what do the people do? They hit the dirt. Why? Because just to be in the presence of an angel who is a distant shadow of the glory of God, very, very distant, you can't help but be humbled. If ever there is evidence that the rich ruler and the Pharisee in the, in the uh, um, parable did not know who God was, it was in the fact that as they encountered God, as they encountered Jesus, they did not respond with humility, but responded with pride. When we recognize who Jesus is, we can't help but be humble and submit all that we have and all that we are to Jesus. This is a guy who had probably invested years in climbing a ladder to become a chief tax collector, who had acquired great wealth, who when he met Jesus said, half of it's gone. Do you see how, like, That can only be done by the miracle of God's grace. To dislodge something that he'd been working for for so long, something he probably found his identity in, gone. If that's what it means to follow Jesus. He gave it up willingly. Jesus, I want you to know, half of this is going to the poor. And what's the other sign of his repentance? I'll tell you what. I'm a bad dude. I have cheated a lot of people. I have made a lot of money. So not only am I going to give half of this away, I'm going to pay back four times what I stole from people. 
Imagine that conversation. Knock, knock, knock. Hey, Zacchaeus, my, I'll have your taxes tomorrow. I, I left them in my other pants. You know, like, you know, that uncomfortable at the door. And he goes, no, no. And opens his wallet and hands a fat stack of cash and says, I stole from you. I'm here to give back four times what I took. What I took with interest. Imagine having to do that over and over and over again as he went to each person's house who he stole from to make restitution. Talk about humility. Some of us can't even tell our wives or our husbands I was wrong. And yet he went and knocked on the door of who knows how many houses or sat at his tax booth when they came by and instead of them paying, he gave them money back. That's, that's crazy. That is the power of recognizing who Jesus Christ is. That is the power of understanding that citizenship in the kingdom of heaven is greater than anything this world has to offer. That's why we can't get caught up in the notion that following Jesus means health, wealth, and prosperity. Those things may come. We know they're going to come in the age to come. But right now, we see a rich man forsake his wealth in order to show his love and appreciation for Jesus. I think that is an amazing testimony of the power of humility. Now, how does our passage end? As this man comes and uh, gives this sign of repentance, look back at verses 9 and 10. It says, And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also was the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. You know, that's the same language there, to seek and save the lost, that Jesus gives at the end of the parable of the prodigal son. That what was lost has been found. Zacchaeus was lost, and he's found. And when I think about the story of Zacchaeus, and I think about the story of the prodigal son, you know what it reminds me of? These, these are bad people. One whom Jesus said is impossible for them to be saved. And the prodigal son is restored, and Zacchaeus is welcomed into the kingdom. Who can be saved? Anyone. Who can be saved? Anyone. Whose sin disqualifies them from the grace and mercy of Jesus? No one. Jesus just taught them. It is impossible for this guy to be saved. It's impossible. But what is impossible with man is possible with God. And through the grace of Jesus Christ, even those whom it is impossible to be saved can be saved. The outcast can be saved. The one no one likes can be saved. The one who doesn't get to come to the Christian party can be saved. 
because Jesus' grace is greater than our sin. Do we believe that, church? Do we believe that? We believe that for us. Do we believe that for others? I want you to think back to that crowd. That crowd that probably saw a miracle. That crowd that probably saw Jesus heal this blind man after they told him to shut up. They said, don't bother him. He's not here for you. That same crowd who saw that man be healed grumbles, grumbles that Jesus was going to Zacchaeus' house. They saw a miracle. They saw the goodness of Jesus, and they grumbled when grace was extended to a sinner. Church, that is a warning. That is a warning. We must be careful. We can't think, if I just saw a miracle, my faith would be greater. These people almost certainly saw or heard about this miracle, and yet they grumbled when the guy who did the miracle says to the tax collector, I'm coming to your house. We have to be careful that we don't think we are any more deserving of God's grace than Zacchaeus. We need his grace just as much as Zacchaeus did. So when we meet whatever cultural equivalent of Zacchaeus we, we meet today, you know what we need to say? You too can be saved. Jesus wants to come to your house. Receive him joyfully. And we get to be in the crowd that celebrates Jesus coming to somebody else's house rather than to our own. It is a good thing that Jesus showed Zacchaeus grace. It is a testimony to others that no one is beyond God's grace. So we should also be people of God's grace. Friends to the outcast, friends to the sinner, friends to the undeserving, because apart from Christ, we were the outcast, the sinner, and undeserving. So as we transition into our, our time of response, as we close the, the message today, I have, I have two challenges for you. One, if you're here today and you think Jesus could never save me, I'm too far gone for his grace, then I hope you see that the grace of mercy that was extended to Zacchaeus is available to you. And if you're here today and you have found yourself more in line with the crowd and withholding grace and grumbling about those who might reach out to people who maybe don't have the same reputation you do, then, then today is an opportunity for us to repent. It, it's a, a chance for us to demonstrate some humility. It's a chance for us to say, Lord, I see your grace is for everyone. Help me know how to share your grace with others. So however you may be responding, as we sing these songs in just a moment, then this is, uh, this is how we, this is our time to respond. Would you all pray with me? Lord, we are grateful that you love us. We are grace, grateful 
that we weren't beyond your reach. Lord, we are too quick to be self-reliant. We are too quick to think we've done enough. Lord, help us to remember each day that it is your grace and mercy that helps us, that it's your grace and mercy that sustains us, that it's your grace and mercy that saved us, and that we are nothing apart from you. Lord, we thank you that in your great love, while, you, while we were your enemies, you died for us. We thank you, Lord, that you rose from the dead. and You paid the price for our sin in your blood, and by raising from the dead, you offer us new life by faith in you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.